How's your year starting off so far? <laughs> Got a thumbs up? There we go. So this past week, uh, my car wouldn't start, and we had to take a kid to the emergency room. Not a great start. <laughs> Not a great start to the year. But you can always find those little silver linings, right? And I found how to open my message. Thanks, God. <laughs> so, so I was going to drop the boys off for a two-night overnight to their grandparents' house up in Grand Rapids. We get the kids all loaded up. They're pumped up. They're excited. And I go to turn on our van. And, you know, it's one of those, like, push-button starts. And the lights start going kind of crazy. And the fan blowers are trying to turn on, but they won't. And it just won't turn over. And there's, like, ten different warning messages that pop up. But what is going on? And so I tried to jump it. And I had to, uh, you know, I parked my car outside the garage because my car doesn't fit in the garage. It's a huge garage, but we have all these toys because my wife has a daycare and we have kids. And it's just a lot of stuff. I had to move all that. I get my tiny little car in. I stretch the jumper cables as far as they can. I try and jump it. No good. So I did what every, you know, rugged man does. He calls his dad. <laughs> Called my dad. Dad comes over. Dad has jumper cables that actually work. And we were able to get my car started. And we went to battery place. Thankfully, it was just the battery. They replaced the interstate battery. Great place, by the way. Um, did a very good job, and half a day later, I'm on my way. But here's the thing. From the moment I first tried to start that car until I was pulling out of the parking lot there on Stadium Drive, the car was all I could think about, right? Like, like I was stressed. I was thinking, like, weeks ahead, school's coming up. How are we going to drop off? We need a van. My little car, my other car has a muffler problem. How long is that going to hold on? And all this stuff, and I'm just worried sick for these few hours. There was an urgency to the situation, and, and at that point, I had to drop everything else, important things, but I had to drop them to focus on that which was urgent and right in front of me. So that, you know, that, that was the start of the week. A few days later, Thursday, <laughs> I get a call from Meg. Meg was hanging out in the nursery, actually, with Daisy and one of her daycare kids for a change of scenery, you know, mix it up. Uh, it was a kind of a, a yucky day outside. So they came over to the nursery, and I get a call from Meg, and I'm in my office, kind of weird, right? I'm like, hello? And she goes, can you come here as, as quickly as you can? Okay. So I go in, I walk into the nursery. There's blood everywhere. <laughs> Al, you're the MVP for cleaning up all that blood. Way to go, man. Um, yeah, Daisy didn't trip on anything. She just fell as toddlers do. It just happened to be right into the corner of a door, right on her forehead. And the little sweet Daisy split it open, and, and it was a bad sight. So what do you do? You drop everything, and you take care of that which is right in front of you, right? And so we get her all bandaged up, and, and, and we might have to restock some of the first aid kits, but we get her all bandaged up. Highlight of my week was when the doctor said, this was a good bandage job. Yes! <laughs> what I lack in knowledge of cars, I picked up in, and first aid, simple first aid stuff. <laughs> but in that moment, nothing else mattered except for taking care of sweet Daisy and getting her all set. She's doing good. She got three stitches. She has some band-aids. She might tell you about it. She's pretty animated about it. I'm afraid she's going to relive it with how, how much she throws herself into the story, but... Anyway, that situation, way more so than the car trouble, demanded an urgent response. It was clear nothing was more important 
And that brings us to our new series we're starting today. Follow me. Follow me as we travel through the book of Mark. This is the gospel according to Mark. And with it comes an incredible sense of urgency. It's an action-packed, fast-moving account of the one who came and changed everything. So I'd love for you, if you have your Bible, pull out your Bible. There will be verses on the screen as well, but there's something about engaging with the physical Word of God. So I encourage you to pull out a Bible and open up to Mark chapter 1. This Gospel of Mark, it was the first Gospel written down. It's the first account that we have. It was written by a guy named John Mark. Uh, He was a close associate of Peter and also of Paul's. A little rocky with Paul there. Read about him in the book of Acts. You can also find Mark mentioned throughout the epistles. Um, And the cool thing about the book of Mark is the primary source for it was a lot of Peter's uh, own recollection. And so Mark would write down these things, and Peter was ministering, and he's preaching to these churches, these house churches, and Mark is taking an account of all of this and he is writing it down and pointing it in an orderly way. It is the shortest of the four Gospels, and it's also believed that both Matthew and the book of Luke drew from the book of Mark in the formation of their own Gospel accounts. In fact, aside from a a handful of verses, you can find the entirety of Mark in both of those books. John does his own thing, right? That's all right. Still great. Yep. You will find... As soon as you start reading the book of Mark, it moves rapidly. And in fact, his favorite word seems to be immediately. And immediately, also sometimes translated as at once, immediately, at once. 41 times you can find immediately. In fact, I, as you read it, tally mark it. Keep track of it. See if you can find it. It is my prayer that through our time together, of the good news, of meshing and, and, and immersing ourselves in the good news of Jesus Christ, as told in Mark, that we might reclaim an urgency to the kingdom work that God has called us to. So let's jump in. Mark 1 today, and today's focus is looking at some of the major themes that will be pulled throughout the entire gospel account, namely the kingdom of God and the call to follow Jesus. I hope you've read through it because there's a lot here to cover, but we're just going to hit some things, and we're going to start with verse 1. This is how the gospel according to Mark begins. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's it. That's his introduction. What is this gospel? Well, gospel means good news. This is good news. And what is this good news? It is Jesus Christ. This is the good news. It's not Mark's gospel. It's the gospel according to Mark. It is not Mark's good news. It's Jesus's. Jesus is the good news. It is all about Jesus. And Mark doesn't mess around. A one-sentence introduction and then boom, off to the races. You cannot get away with that in English class, right? Don't try it, guys. Uh, you need a, usually a more thorough one, but Mark has no time to waste. Let's get into it. He jumps right in. He has to share this good news. And the good news of Jesus, 
It's his words, his actions, it's his being, it's his life, his promises, his victory. Mark tells of John the Baptist, and and then he talks of Jesus' baptism and and the wilderness time, and, and then Jesus himself tells us why he came. He gives us his own mission statement. This is why he is here. This is what he came to proclaim, as found in Mark 1, 14 through 15. Now John was arrested. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel the good news. The good news mentioned here, the good news that Mark mentions in that very first verse, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the best news there is. Believe in Jesus Christ. Turn from your old ways. That is to repent, to turn away from and lay them down and then pick up your new life, pick up your cross and follow me. Turn and and turn towards. Believe in me, Believe in why I came and believe in what I'm doing. I have good news for you. I am that good news. I am here and I bring with me my kingdom. Follow me and I'll bring you from death to life. That is good news. Anyone need that good news today? We all need that good news every moment of every day. The good news contains the message of forgiveness, of restoration, and new life that is only found in Christ Jesus. We're reminded of this in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, which tells us any who believe in Jesus, they are a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. So repent and believe the kingdom of God is here. Think about the kingdom for a minute. We, we don't live in a kingdom, so you know, imagine like one of those kids' books you've read maybe, right? Like a, like a kingdom. Uh, and it's like a perfect kingdom. The king is inspiring. The king, king, when he speaks and how he acts and lives his life just captures your heart. And after you encounter him, he's all you can think about. He changes your mind on so many things. New paradigm. And being near him for just a minute makes you want to change, makes you want to be better, makes you want to be different, makes you want to joyfully follow him because you know you can trust him for he is good and he is sure. It's not actually in a fairy tale It's not in a made-up story. It is the truth. It is Jesus Christ. That's our king, and that's his kingdom. You will see it all throughout the gospel that Jesus came to establish his kingdom. He's establishing God's rule and God's reign over people's hearts and lives. To accept this rule and this reign, it's to do what he calls us to do. Repent and believe. Repent and believe in the good news. This kingdom 
that is being established in people's hearts and minds. It is the kingdom that will ultimately include the restoration of all of creation. You've read it in Revelations 21, verse 1, when it talks of a new heaven and a new earth that will be absent from the effects of sin. Jesus says, that kingdom, my kingdom, is at hand. The time is now. He puts his flag in the ground. The kingdom of God, we know also, it's both present and future. This is one of those confusing, you know, we talk about paradoxical type of statements. Uh, it is both, both here and also not yet. Meaning it, is, it has broken through, it is present, it is real, but it's also not yet fully realized. The kingdom's near because Jesus has come. The kingdom is here because Jesus is furthering his mission. His kingdom is still here because of what he's done and because his spirit is still here with us. And Jesus proclaims the kingdom. That is his message, the kingdom, so that people might repent and believe. Repent and believe. To turn away from the old and turn towards the new. To shed off and let go of and pick up God's ways. To believe. It's a one-time act to repent and believe. That for those who followed Jesus was when you gave your life to Christ. When you were so captured by this good news, you say, I I let go of my path, and you are now the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. I let go of the old. I'm turning away from the path I was on to, to take up the path you have when you accept his gift of salvation. But it's not just a one-time act. It is also a daily act. We are daily called to repent and believe, to say, it's not me, God. It is not about me. It is all about you. It's not about my way. It's all about yours. It's not about my kingdom. It is all about yours. We turn away from and we turn towards. Repent and believe. You know, the idea of repenting is painful, especially for those of us who have grown up Catholic. Um, the idea of confession and to turn away from, it comes with it, this pain that often is a barrier from doing it. What we find is the idea of it is usually way more painful than the actual act because the act itself is freedom. When you know the good news, when the good news truly captures your heart, you almost jump at the chance to shed off the old and turn back. That's how good this news is. There is no depth you can fall to that God can't pull you from. How good is Jesus? That's how good he is. The problem is our selfishness and our worries and our all this stuff, it builds up like a thick callus. It's a little gross, but like a callus, it's way easier to daily shave that off and keep that at bay than to let it build up over time. Because the longer it builds up, the longer it goes, there's a lot more hardship and selfishness we have to chip away at and repent of and turn back toward God's with. And it gets harder and harder and harder 
So we are called to daily repent and believe, shed off the old, step into the new. God's word says his mercies are new each and every morning. His daily mercies are greater than any of our day's troubles. And they are new afresh each morning. Repent and believe the good news. The good news is here and it is not going anywhere. So what is your practice of daily turning away from and turning towards? What do you need to repent of today? And maybe just hearing that question, you feel that stab and there's that thing you want to keep in the darkness back here and not think about. That's the thing to pay attention to. What do you need to repent of today? And the beauty is, well, then there's good news for you. What good news do you need to believe today? What good news that is found only in Jesus do you need to believe today? Because Jesus came preaching the kingdom and advancing his kingdom, calling us to repent and believe in his good news. But before Jesus says this, before Jesus began his, his preaching and his public ministry, there were two things Jesus had to do. So we're backing up to Mark 1, verse 9 through 13, where it says this, In those days, that is the days of John the Baptist, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. The Spirit then immediately, there's that word, immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Can't he have just like a minute, God, to bask in that baptism? Where's the baptism party, you know? We planted a tree and had a feast when our kids were baptized. The Spirit says, oh no, you got work to do, and I have a work to do in you. Go into the wilderness. Why did Jesus have to be baptized and then go into the wilderness? We could say, we could have a couple messages on the whole why Jesus was baptized thing. It's not because he was with sin. He wasn't. He's the only one without sin. He didn't, that wasn't it. It was more, it was a few things. To display the first the approval of the Father upon his beloved Son, both for Jesus, but also for us, for everyone else. This is his beloved Son. There's no doubt. This is, this is him. And the Spirit is present. It, it shows us the unity of God, and the authority of Jesus. He also, in his baptism, identifies with us. He identifies with sinners. He, he goes through what we're all called to and, and says, hey, the, this water and all of that, you just wait. You just wait until what happens on that Friday and that Sunday to come. I'm going to bring you through the waters. I'm going to bring you from death to life. That is why I am here. And he came all the way from heaven to identify with us. He became sin for us. He identifies with us through this. And then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Yes, the Spirit of God leads him into this barren, treacherous place 
where there's wild animals. And what do we see? That Jesus proves, without a doubt, his authority over the devil. And it is a marker of what happens the rest of his ministry. You see, Jesus, Jesus left behind the quiet and unknown upbringing of his, of his early adulthood. We don't know much about that at all. But now he is stepping out of that, and he is stepping in and forward and saying, the time is now at hand. He has put his flag down. And as Jesus goes through the waters of baptism and he follows the spirits leading into the wilderness, he has, Jesus, officially declared war on the enemy and his kingdom. Thus, the enemy relentlessly assaults him, seeking to keep God's kingdom from advancing. See, temptation, it was not a one-time thing for Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, the other Gospels pull out three of them, kind of, kind of the, the final, you know, uh, uh, encounter in the desert. But it wasn't just those three. Look at what it says in Mark. Uh, it says that he was in the wilderness 40 days, being, that's an ongoing word, being tempted by Satan. That means continuously. It was a ruthless assault. And do you think that stopped once he left the wilderness? No. No, do you think the enemy was happy he was here and that the time is now and that he put a stake in the ground? No, no, no. It's not like Satan was just like, oh, gee, I tried. Uh-uh, no. For Jesus came and declared war on the enemy. And the enemy, in desperation and his own sense of urgency, wants nothing more than to bring him and his followers down. So throughout Jesus' ministry, as we journey through this gospel, we see the kingdom of God advancing and pushing the darkness back. We see lives being changed. We see demons being cast out. We see God's kingdom advancing and pushing back the power of darkness over and out of the enemy's kingdom. Look at what it says in 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared, it was to destroy the works of the devil. The good news. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, has come to free the captives and give life to all those who were dead in their sin. He came to destroy the works of the devil and draw his people back to him now and forever. And so Jesus comes and advances his kingdom. He drives Satan and his kingdom back. And then continuing on in our text, later, after calling the disciples, we'll touch on that in a minute, we see Jesus teaching in the synagogue. He's teaching in the synagogue, and it says he is teaching with authority. And they're amazed at this authority because it's his own authority he's teaching on. It's God's very own authority. And there's a man there who has an unclean spirit within him, a demon. And he encounters the good news of Jesus Christ as he's advancing his kingdom cause. And the spirit rightly guesses what Jesus is doing. 
he accuses Jesus. Have you come to destroy us? Oh yeah, Jesus has. And what do we see? By the authority of his very name, Jesus, uh, uh, he saves the man. A man is restored. The spirit is driven out. The kingdom advances, and Jesus pushes back the power of the enemy. The people hear and see the good news, and they were all amazed. And the word of what happened that day spread like that. You know they didn't have internet. They didn't have anything, right? But when you see how quickly that after the Sabbath, crowds come and, and completely come with all their people. Word spread like crazy. And he was overwhelmed almost by the crowds. Because when Jesus comes, he comes with authority. The word of Jesus is victorious from the very start. That demon did not want to go. We can tell. He, he was convulsing the man and, and, and shouting out. The person cries out in a loud voice. He didn't want to leave, but he must leave. He has no option. He is overwhelmed by the superior power. And through all the centuries since, the only name demons have ever feared is the name of Jesus. It is Jesus who sets people free and delivers the oppressed. It is Jesus who has the authority. It is Jesus who claims the victory. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. For it's, it's when we pray in his name, we invoke his power and his authority and his will as he intercedes on our behalf. And so we see this kingdom battle continue and crescendo throughout the entire gospel. And we know the battle's still going on, isn't it? I just heard a few times this past week from some dear friends who are sharing their heaviness with the weary state and the worrying state of the world right now. I mean, look around. It's crazy out there. It's rough out there. You're all out there in the trenches each day. You know. The battle continues. But even when we can't see it, we can know and believe that God's kingdom is here. And it's not just here. It's advancing. We can count on that because Jesus himself said it. He's still in control. He still reigns over it all. He will accomplish his purposes. Nothing will stop him from doing what he's going to do. The kingdom of darkness will not win, for we have victory in the name of Jesus. Pastor Curry shared a, a, a quote with me from Corey Tenboom, and I think it's been said before, when it seems like things are falling apart, perhaps they're falling into place. I wonder what that looks like for us of kingdom children who know and believe that God is in control, reigning over it all, and working in and through us to keep his kingdom advancing as he accomplishes his good purposes. Maybe in the midst of the chaos, things are settling in just as he needs them to, to accomplish his purposes. So how are you experiencing this kingdom battle right now in your life? Not just that, 
How are you fighting it? Are you just wishing it was better? Or are you submitting to the Spirit, letting him work on your behalf, posturing and positioning yourself for him to do what only he can do? Call on the name of Jesus. Pray in the name of Jesus so that he might fight on your behalf as you ruthlessly and urgently follow after him. See, Jesus' kingdom, it advances and it pushes against the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus comes, he begins his ministry, he battles. But this is the crazy thing. Though he's God, he could fight it alone. He chooses not to. Having begun his message, he then gathers around him individuals who can follow him, teach like him, do the things that he does, and continue the very mission of Jesus once he goes away and sends his spirit. He sends people to become sharers in the message of Christ and to continue and advance it in the name of Jesus. God's kingdom cause involves the formation of God-centered community. It's a community of disciples. The church's humblest beginnings come from the Savior of the world coming down to be amongst everyday people right where they live and work and asking them to follow him. No matter what the stakes, no matter what the cost, follow me. Two incredible words when you consider the source. Follow me follow me. Is there any greater invitation? I'm at, my kids are at the age where they still like me. (laughs) They'll change in about, well, who knows, how soon. And it's incredibly humbling that there seems to be nothing more than what they want and to be with me and to be with Meg. And Jesus sees us, and he says, Hey, you, follow me. Be with me. Be with me. Follow me. Look at how he calls the disciples, verses 16 through 18. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon, who would later be called Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. And there's that word again. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As you read on, you'll see he calls John and James, sons of Zebedee, in a very similar fashion as they're mending their nets. And he says, follow me. And again, immediately, they leave their father, they leave tired hands, and they follow him. Follow me. Life of a disciple. The life of us as Christians, Christ followers, those that bear the name of Christ, is to follow. To follow him who calls us and invites us to drop anything and everything else and focus on him. To live with him. To be with him. Always. Back in the ancient Middle East, the the tradition of the rabbi and a disciple was a profoundly beautiful reality. And that it's been reported that if you were to go on a beach and see 
rabbis walking with their disciples, you would only see one path of footprints. I'm not talking about that poem, Footprints. I'm talking about the rabbi would walk along the beach and the disciples longing to be like their teacher in every single way would mimic and follow literally in the footsteps of the rabbi, stepping where the rabbi stepped. That's what it is to follow our teacher and our leader, to follow step by step by step, seeking to be like him as closely as possible, to walk and step and imitate the perfect one. See, his kingdom, it's broken through. If you're in this place, it has captured you in some way. And now we take up that kingdom cause as his spirit continues the very work that Jesus began. And to all of us, Jesus' message is repent and believe and follow me. The work we do, the things we do, matters. It matters in your life. It matters to the world. It matters to God's kingdom. He has uniquely crafted and called you to do the work he has appointed to you. Get this, Andrew and Peter, fishermen, in the action that they they were called, they were casting their nets. And Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They were casting nets. Peter and Andrew went on to be primarily evangelists to go out and catch more from certain judgment into God's fold. What were uh, John and James doing? They were mending their nets. They were helping this thing be all that it can be so they could go and do the net what it is intended to do. John and James were both primarily pastors and teachers. If you look at the, the fivefold gifts in Ephesians 4, they were mending. They were doing exactly what God was going to call them to do just in a new way. And he does that with each and every one of you. He has called and captured you and crafted you to do the work only he can do through you where he's placed you. What a humbling and awe-inspiring honor to follow him, to follow him. Because Christ is going to accomplish his mission. His kingdom will advance. The kingdom of darkness has no chance and we will do our part to do what God has called us to do. And did you notice the urgency of Jesus' invitation? There's no fluff. Two words, follow me. And what does it say? The disciples immediately, at once, followed him. Urgency, urgency, urgency. How has our faith lost that ingrained sense of urgency. It was there in the beginning for all of us. We recognize this is a matter of life and death. But is there now an urgency to our faith? Don't let any guilt or shame of maybe not stop you from reclaiming that urgency. Life And the enemy will try and distract us and beat us down and make us complacent. We're here today to say, oh no. We will urgently, urgently follow after him. We have an urgency to our faith to grow, to serve, to lead, to love. 
After all, this is what we are created for. This is our purpose, to worship him for who he is and what he's done and is doing and will do, and then go to work to be more like him and draw others to him. The series is called Follow Me, for as we sit at the feet of Jesus, we watch him push the kingdom of darkness back as his kingdom advances, and as we put, bear witness to that in his true word and our lives, we ought to feel compelled again to once more take up arms and follow him wherever he leads us. We wrap it up here at Hope in our motto, Love, Live, Lead, that we will love Jesus, we'll live like Jesus, we'll lead others to Jesus. It's our motto, it's our call to discipleship. And as we consider Jesus' words, follow me, and, and we remember there's an urgency to this task, how do we need to better love, live, and lead like Jesus? Because Jesus Christ came into this world. He came and he brings with him the very best news. He sees you, he loves you, and he calls you to follow him. The task is urgent. The Spirit is with you, and we have work to do. So may we repent and believe and then get to work, for this is the good news of Jesus. He chose you, so we will follow him. This is the good news of Jesus. So how will you respond? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we prepare to pray, I'd love to encourage you, uh, as I did in the email this week, on your bulletin, you'll see on the bottom, main takeaway, or grab a notebook, pull up your phone, a note there would work too. Each Sunday, I encourage you, I challenge you, to write down your main takeaway of this Sunday. It might have been something I said. It might have been something that just came to you. It might have been a passage. Write it down. I also encourage you, keep a log for the year of what your main takeaway is each year, and you'll be amazed to look back and see how God has worked. And so that's my encouragement for you to think about that. Write that down before you leave. Maybe you get in your car and you, you pull it out and you ponder it and write it down before you start, or maybe not start, your engine, praying your engine starts. <laughs> Why don't we go ahead and pray? Almighty God, we thank you in this place. We are humbled again by your good news. Even the fact that you came down to earth at all is amazing, let alone all you have done and all you're still doing. We thank you. We take seriously your call, Lord, to follow you. God, we do get distracted. We do, we do turn left and right, and we, we don't always fix our eyes on you, so we ask for your forgiveness. And yet we believe in your good news that says as we, as we turn away with a sincere heart, as we, we cast off with a sincere heart, you say, oh, come, child, back into my embrace, for my grace is greater than all your sin. Once I have you, I have you, and there's nothing that can ever stop that. So get up and do what I've called you to do once more. And that's our prayer, God. You have created us in uniquely to do what only you can do through us. So we open our hearts, our minds, our hands again and say, lead us. 
for we will follow. We will follow. And we won't do it alone. We'll do it in the very power, the very name, the very authority of Jesus Christ. For it is in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. We say, amen.